Okay, so we're continuing with our series, Eight, Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. Oops, I forgot to change it on the bottom to an 88th lesson in the series. Uh, we are doing this coincide, it's overlapping or coinciding with redoing the Baptizing the Holy Spirit series, which we did in 2012 as four chapters. But we're doing this a little bit more clearly and a lot more detailed. I hope to keep it down to 12 chapters, but at this point it's not looking good. It might be more like 15 to 20, but we'll see. So uh, in Roman number one are your eight essentials. Uh, we're on essential number seven, the pattern of what, five steps entering the kingdom of Christ. I don't have time to review, but we think patterns are very important in the Bible, and that if you go through the book of Acts and study uh, there's seven uh, accounts in the book of Acts that give us some detail of people coming to Christ. Five, five of them give us more. If you look at those, you'll, uh, I think you can discern a pattern of five things happening. And uh, we've taught a lot on that, and hopefully most of you have those five steps memorized. Receiving Jesus Christ, water baptism, baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, Deliverance from demons and inner healing, and then finally uh, entering a New Testament way of life, which includes both personal, individual, spiritual disciplines, and uh, uh, shared corporate life in community. Now, uh, last week, we were actually on chapter 3, which is now going to be chapter 3a and 3b, of what we're calling the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what is the function of the Holy Spirit in the Godhead? In chapter 1, we looked at uh, word pictures of the Holy Spirit, eight of them. Chapter 2, we looked at the deity of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we made the point that when we're talking about uh, the attributes of the Holy Spirit in relation to his deity, we're talking about ontology, the being of God. But now we're talking about the economy of the Holy Spirit. That is, what is his function in his ministry uh, on behalf of the Father and the Son uh, in the earth? And so last week we uh, uh, started in on these ten ministries of the Holy Spirit. And a ministry is really a good word. We, uh, you know, in a lot of circles today, people have kind of turned ministry into something flattering, so you'll hear people go, oh, I got a calling to the ministry. Well, the, the word ministry just means servant. Diak and I is a table waiter. And uh, so you got a calling to be the lowliest of the lowly. And uh, we believe that all Christians have that calling. <laughs> so all Christians have a ministry to God, uh, a ministry to one another in the body of Christ, and a ministry to the lost. And you are called to lay down your life sacrificially and make yourself of no account and, uh, and not take yourself that seriously, but to take God very seriously. And so um, the Holy Spirit, you, uh, if, you, uh, uh, if you take kind of what European countries would think of as a, the, uh, a cabinet office or a ministry of like the ministry of the treasury or the ministry of war, we call that secretary, uh, but you're, what it really is is you're called to be an ambassador. You're called to represent God 
accurately. And Jesus himself didn't come to be served, but to, to give his life as a ransom for many. In the second service today, since today is Palm Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we're going to observe uh, some things that started with his coming to us in a manger and humbling himself and becoming a man. But Jesus didn't uh, express his kingship the way people expected kings to be. And because of the religious popular expectations of his day, uh, people had a hard time understanding what kind of king he was and is. And I maybe think we sometimes have a hard time understanding what kind of king he is to still. So the Holy Spirit, likewise, he actually uh, came... You know, one of the reasons we were we covered only eight word pictures of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying the Bible is limited to those. Those were the ones that stand out the most. But it's partly because the Holy Spirit came to bear witness of the Father and the Son. He came to glorify them. He uh, in the Godhead, each member of the Trinity honors the others. So the Holy Spirit, as the author of the of Scriptures, uh really left himself less word pictures in the scriptures than, say, we have of Christ. If we were to do a series on word pictures of Christ, we might be able to limit it to 50-some, but that would be highly doubtful. We would probably have to at least get into the 70s just to do an introductory series on the word pictures of Christ in the New Testament because the Holy Spirit chose to give us that many images of Christ. So... uh, so with that tone, let's kind of begin to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Last week we uh, covered half of this, so I'm, I'm going to try to get through 1, 2, and 3, and 4 really quickly, and I reviewed a lot quicker than usual, so we're in good shape. Uh, let's hopefully see if we can stay in good shape. In John 7, uh, we talked about how Jesus gives us uh, more about the coming Holy Spirit in John 7 because of the Feast of Booths. Then in John uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16, which is John's account of the Passover supper, and Jesus is actually, so that's actually a, this is actually a pretty good message for Holy Week, because most of the attributes that we're going to be talking about today in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, most of his functions, Jesus gave us during Holy Week at the Passover supper. Because Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm going to go to be with the Father. But don't worry. <laughs> you know, it would be a little bit like if you were a 17-year-old kid. I uh, Some people believe John was as young as 14 when he left his family. Can you imagine how popular that was? To follow this itinerant rabbi Jesus, I'll bet, I'll bet his dad was excited. And... Uh, <laughs> and uh, left the family business, and they, John's family was actually uh, a lower middle class family, but a little bit richer than Peter's family, because it, it specifically noticed, it noted that they have uh, that they had servants. And if you study any good books on, say, the sociological conditions of Israel at the time, even some maybe higher level, low, you know, poverty people had a few servants in those days. And uh, But Peter and Andrew just left their father in the boats. They didn't have any servants. But John and James had a few servants. And I think all four of them experienced their parents going, yeah, just leave the family ministry we've prepared for you for years and follow this 
whacked out rabbi that and uh, I'm I'm good with that. I I don't think it went like that, but um anyway. Uh so now these guys are probably 18 to 24. Jesus is is 33 and uh he's saying, "Okay, that's it. I'm going." <laughs> I'm going to go be with the father. Oh, but don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to still come to you. But I'm not coming the way you're used to. I'm coming by the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he actually goes so far as to say, it's to your advantage that I go and you start relating to the Holy Spirit this way. This is actually going to be better. I think we have this tendency to, I mean, who? I hope you've at least dreamed as a young Christian when you were going through the Gospels, like, wouldn't it have been cool to actually follow along with the disciples and know Jesus, you know, personally, and be able to enter into 1 John 1 and say what we've seen and what we, you know, handled and what we heard. But actually, Jesus is saying, no, I'm giving you something better. I'm giving you the fullness of my spirit in a way that even that even you, uh, in my ministry hasn't come yet. You know, if uh, next week we're going to get into the activities of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, followed by the following week the activities of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Christ and the disciples before the ascension and Pentecost. Then, after then we're going to do after Pentecost, and then we're going to do after the close of the canon what the Holy Spirit's continued to do throughout church history. And one of the things we're going to see is the Holy Spirit did almost all the same things in the Old Testament that he did in the ministry of Christ and in the ministry after Pentecost with the exception of speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. It's just that they were less frequent and they tended to be uh, confined to priests, prophets, judges, and kings. But after Pentecost, all God's people are prophets. That's God's will. All God's people would prophesy, move in spiritual gifts, proclaim the kingdom of God with power and signs and wonders and cast out demons. Everyone's supposed to be getting in on this. That's just normal, everyday Christianity. So, you know, what we're seeking is to restore common, everyday Christianity, not as our culture defines it, but as Scripture defines it. It's been a great season because, frankly, um, for most of the years that we've inch by inch been laying the foundations and building this fellowship, we, you know, we talk about three delivery systems of grace, Scripture, the Spirit, and the Church. For most of our years, we've been really focusing on recovering uh, the right paradigms of interpretation of Scripture, and building a culture of biblical studies and ongoing catechism. And we don't want to leave that, of course. But um, And what is the church? And rediscovering you know, the ancient liturgies that can be traced to the New Testament times. And uh, rediscovering you know, community. And why everyone should have the personal discipleship available to them. And, and so forth. But, um, you know, we... 
John and I separately, and we actually said it from the pulpit separately without knowing the other one was going to say it, kind of were sensing that this year was going to bring a coming kind of a sense of visitation. And we've just continued to have amazing things happen. The Friday night fellowship this Friday night was just out of, it was amazing. It was like, wow, thank you, Lord. And yesterday, uh, certain people got released in the Holy Spirit in greater ways, and it was in some prayer meetings, and it's just been like this almost every day right now, uh, which, of course, whenever that's happening, you need to humble yourself and don't fall into traps and uh, be careful and, and get in on it. <laughs> don't miss out. Uh, this is a time, uh, you know, uh, Friday night during the worship, uh, some people had breakthroughs who'd had trouble sensing the presence of God for a number of years, just bam, were just totally overwhelmed by the presence of God for the first time in, their, in, their, in three or four years of being a Christian and coming to this church. I mean, things... So, anyway, back to... Uh, get back on the notes here. The Holy Spirit is given to bear witness of the risen and glorified Jesus Christ. He does all the same things... He did in the Old Testament and in the ministry of Christ and the disciples, but they're now available to every one of God's people. In this series, we're going to reveal, hopefully you'll understand, that we think there are greater releases and empowerings of the Holy Spirit, both to those who have not been had this experience called being baptized in the Spirit and people who have. You know, in Acts 4, at the end of the prayer meeting, when they said, and when it says that they cried out to God and said, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants may speak the word boldly and so forth. And, and they're crying out to God and it records their prayer meeting. Then at the end of the prayer meeting, it says that the whole room where they were in was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God more boldly. What people miss sometimes is most of the people in that room probably almost all of them, were in one of the two waves of outpouring in Acts chapter 2 on the initial day of Pentecost, either the first 120 or the 3,000 that came in as a result of Peter's proclamation. Most of the people in Acts 4 already were filled with the Holy Spirit and had a greater release of the Holy Spirit, and then they got filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Why? Because we leak, right? So... And because there's always greater and greater releases of the Holy Spirit, always. You know, if you there's kind of this idea, well, you got it all at conversion. And I always just say, the obvious answer to that, in all due respect, is if you if we have it all, let's see it all. Like, does or do we have a lot of people? First John two six. If anyone says he knows him, Jesus, then he ought to walk in the same manner Jesus walked. So do we have people walking around and throughout the church that are operating in the level of the Spirit Jesus was? I think it's clear that God intends us to, to pursue Him and pursue the Holy Spirit until that's true of all of us. So, all right. So we, we talked about how He's given to, to uh, bear witness in, of the risen and glorified Jesus Christ. I like in John what it says that the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, that's talking to some guys who had been sent out and had come back saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus. 
So it wasn't that they hadn't had some experience with the Holy Spirit. But in some sense, even to those guys, the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's pretty intense if you think about it. What, can, what we can fall into is we go along week after week, year after year, thinking that the churches we've been in and the expressions of Christianity we've seen are normal instead of thinking the Scripture is normal. And once you have the idea that the Scripture is normal, then you've got to get intense about getting there. You've got to study enough and seek enough and figure out, like, what is hindering me from looking like the book of Acts? And don't settle for a kind of relationship with God that doesn't look like the book of Acts, individually or corporately. All right, we talked about how he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit draws people to Christ. Hopefully you see, uh, you know, I had a great time with a person Friday talking for a few hours about how they'd grown up in a Christian family, so they'd kind of come to Christ in steps over about 20 years. And uh, that's just as valid as people, like, you know, heard some sliver of the gospel and their whole life was changed. It's just as valid. Uh, What's important is that that the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ. And some of those things is, is convicts you of sin. And not just sin. Sin in the Bible and sins are different. Sins, you might compare to the leaves of the tree or the fruit. But sin is that deep thing inside of us that runs from God, hides from God, does not want to know God, is not really seeking truth. That's, that's you know, I've always wanted to do this someday, but I'm not this kind of guy. I wish I was more bold sometimes. But uh, I've always wanted to be like at a church where someone stands up and goes, I've been seeking truth all my life, and last night I found God. I've always wanted to stand up and go, liar. <laughs> you know, like, you were running from God all your life. I don't, I don't know if my parents became Christians about seven years before me. I hated that. I was like, oh my gosh, the parents have become Jesus freaks. What is wrong with them? They're having all these people over and they're worshiping and they're not, they got hundreds of books now and it's it's this is horrible. <laughs> you know. And uh you know, and then my senior year in high school, a guy who was a real on fire Christian moved to our town. And there were, I think as far as I know, there were there were probably some people who considered themselves Christian in my high school, but they were all pretty much hiding under the table. But uh this guy was, you know, by the end of the year, he had an after-school Bible study with 30-some people coming and a before-school prayer meeting with 30-some people coming. And one day I made the mistake of sitting next near him in study hall, and he's telling me all about Jesus. And boy, I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to sit near this person again. If you've not discovered there is none who seeks for God, no, not one, you did not come to God willingly. He made you willing to be willing. The Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. He convinces us. The word convict can actually be translated convince. He's the one who proves himself real. And he shows, you know, like the, when we talked about the eight essential attributes, the first one is God. And the, all fallen men have a reduced picture of God in their life. 
Unfortunately, most of so-called biblical Christianity has a reduced version of God with very little emphasis on the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the active presence of God. And we have low expectations of what God's going to, who he is and what he does. We, most of us, deep down in our heart, think, you know, my sins or my problems or my fears are, are bigger than God. But that's not true. So the Holy Spirit comes to magnify the Father and the Son and help us see him, see that big gap between who he is and our sin and who we are. And therefore, we can un- begin to understand grace and reconciliation. Romans 5.20 Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You first got to see the depth of sin if you're going to understand the greatness of grace. Thirdly, flipping over, the Holy Spirit comes to lead us into worship and magnify the Lordship of Christ. Now, I know there's a lot of contemporary Christian worship that's kind of not very good theologically, but then again, sometimes there is, and I, I would say that it's no accident that what was known as the charismatic movement that most people date from around 1959, picking up by 63 and a little more by 67, and starting to fizzle about 81 and with the rise of the mega churches and kind of dying as the 80s moved on, that kind of gave birth to what became known in the 80s and 90s as the worldwide worship movement. That came out of the charismatic movement because the Holy Spirit comes to magnify the Lord. The more of the Holy Spirit that's released into your life, the more you'll love worshiping God. The more you'll be like, can't we worship a little longer? <laughs> and you'll, you'll find yourself loving the, the, the uh, songs that hold up attributes of God like His holiness his worthiness, his grace, and the present realities of his kingdoms, his lordship, his, you know, his reign, his glory, because the Holy Spirit actually loves those songs. And most of the times he inspired the people who wrote them. Not in the same way of infallible inspiration, usually a scripture, of course, but a lot of times they came out of scripture anyway. Uh, so, The Holy Spirit helps us worship in spirit and in truth. The truth part is really important, by the way, there. Philippians 3, Paul says that we are the true, he says, beware of the mutilation. Pretty, it's pretty uh, gross term, actually. (laughs) Paul says some really, like, if you actually looked at the Greek words for Philippians 3, you couldn't talk about that in church. (laughs) You know, first of all, he says, beware of the mutilation. And then he compares all his righteousness to, uh, we'll just say, scubalon. You look it up. But, uh, (laughs) because I'm not allowed to say those words from the pulpit, because we have people who are maybe too religious to hear that word. So, but Paul said it, but he, he had more, he had more uh, papal dispensations than me, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> isn't that amazing that like he's talking about all his religious credentials <laughs> and then he compares them to uh, Scubalon. Praise God, you're so godly. All right, uh, so, um, then I think we ended with uh, 
Oh, the true thing. Let's just nail that down a little bit. So he goes, where the mutilation, or beware of the mutilation. Then he goes, for where the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, we're the people in the, you know, uh, again, somebody who shared their journey into Christ, talked about how the Lord kind of took them to the parable of the publican and, and the Pharisee. And, and uh, you know, like when you start to understand that you were the publican, then the Holy Spirit's starting to work in your life. Right? How many of us think, you know, uh, I, I'm ashamed to say this, but when I was first a Christian and God put a certain amount of zeal and so forth, I sometimes had thoughts like, man, God got a good deal when he got me. Like, I'm on fire. It's like, and, and God's so gracious. He didn't kill me or anything, but he probably did laugh like you're all doing. He's, he's like, oh, boy, is he going to learn some things uh, through this. I'm going to give him a master's degree in the school of failure. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he'll, uh, he'll be on a journey. He'll just stumble and trip many times. But don't worry, I'll, I'll come pick him back up. All right, so fourthly, the Holy Spirit uh, takes those who are truly redeemed and he bears witness to us that we are sons and daughters of Christ. There's a couple of scriptures that I listed there in Romans 8 and Galatians. If you haven't studied those sections, please do. One of the things that uh, today's gospel by Walter Chantry, he, he's, he was kind of a reformed big Bible teacher that I'm pretty sure has passed away now. But if, he, if he's not, then he's probably 100 and something. But um, the best books are by old dead guys, as you know. Um, so don't he... Just, I'm, I'm hoping to write some books. You can read them after I'm old, I die. <laughs> Don't read them until the guy's old and dead. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the, 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 one of the things he brings out very clearly. It, it, I mean, that's a book worth reading a few times and letting it and work, letting it work you through from America's reduced gospel into a more complete gospel. And um, but as you're thinking on those things, one of the things he talks about is we spend an awful lot of time in American churches trying to talk about assurance of salvation to people that are less than converted. And the truth of the matter is, when you're fully converted, you generally won't struggle for assurance of salvation. Because the Holy Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you're a son or daughter of God. Now, don't take, get upset about that if you've been doing, pursuing these things three weeks. But really, as the, as the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, converts you to earnestly not desiring to be Lord of your own life anymore, and earnestly desiring Him to be Lord of your life, and a, and a willingness to do whatever it takes to follow that, which only His grace can accomplish, and as that grace works in you, you will have a witness of the Holy Spirit that this is the work of God in you. Then when you read passages about men suppressing the truth of God and unrighteousness, like Romans 1, 
in Romans 3.10, there's none who seeks for God. You'll go back to like what I talked about in high school. I, I, be, I you know, it didn't take long of reading through the New Testament quite a few times to begin to realize, wow, I've been running from God for an awful long time. <laughs> I, I didn't know that till the Lord opened my eyes to, to know him. But then as you start to know the scripture, you go, oh, I wasn't seeking God all my life. I was trying to avoid him. I didn't mind church so much as long as it didn't get too serious. <laughs> but uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't seeking him with all my heart. All right, so that's where we ended last week. Let's hope I, I got about 15 minutes. Hope I can get through these last five. Given to lead and guide the church into all the truth. Restoration. John 16, he says, I have many more things to say to you. Do you know he can say that to everyone? Somebody took me to task some weeks ago for saying that we're all baby Christians and I'm a baby Christian and you're a baby Christian. But we are. We see in a mirror dimly. We know in part. And if we compare ourselves to how far he's taken us, we can look back and say, wow, looks like we've come a long way. But that's because we're close to that perspective. And we might even be able to compare ourselves to each other, which Paul says, if you do that, you're without understanding. But we might be able to say, well, I'm kind of mature compared to some other people, maybe a little bit after 40 years compared to somebody who's been in this four days or something. But, and you know, hopefully the leaders and different people who disciple are, have some maturity. But when you turn around and look at Christ, the truth is we're baby Christians and we know only a little bit. We've experienced only a little bit. And the great thing about that is there's no destination except more of Christ. So let's get hungry for more journey. So that's really what the Holy Spirit does. The, in 1 Corinthians 2, it says that the Holy Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The more of the Holy Spirit that's released and stirred up in your life and the more of it you, Him you carry, the more you'll be hungry for more. Hunger begets hunger. You can all tell I struggle with eating too much. That's because I eat too much. <laughs> and then the next time I eat too much, I get hungry, it's easier to eat too much because I've had years of eating too much and I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I've been working on the last 10 or 15 years trying to reduce my portions. But, you know, it's a it's a process. And uh, but every hunger works either for you or against you. The hunger for God works for you. The more you fill that hunger for God, the more hungry for God you'll be. The more thirsty for God you are, the more thirsty for God you'll be. The bigger drink you take of the Lord, the next time you're thirsty, you'll need an even bigger drink. And, you know, love for Scripture works that way. Desire for holiness works that way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, one of the, it's, the things I pray is, God, give me a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because in my fallen nature, I'm not too, I'm not too interested in that, usually. So the Holy Spirit came to lead us and guide us into all the truth. I think the primary problem with Pentecostalism in, in this, uh, is, has been that Pentecostalism came out of fundamentalism, and said, whoa, we got, we got more exciting worship, 
And some people get healed once in a while, and people prophesy, and we can march around the church with a little bit more excitement. And, but, but that's not the goal. The goal is to be let to rethink everything in light of Scripture and the Spirit, because God's in the restoration business. He always has been, and He always will be. And the Holy Spirit will never leave you alone. He'll cause you to seek more of God about what the church should be and how it should be defined and how we should function and what are what is biblical eldership or what is, you know, we've been doing this discipleship. How do we do it better? How do we serve and empower people more? The Holy Spirit will never be satisfied you know there's a kind of a thank you god for what you've done satisfaction but but he will never allow you to get complacent satisfaction complacency means to be self-satisfied well i've been a christian like 12 years i got this now He came to lead and guide us into all the truth. And if we truly have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our midst, we're going to rethink everything. Paradigms of biblical studies, theology, what it means to serve and love one another, what is community, what is worship. We need a rethink and a rebuild on everything. The Holy Spirit will help us see if we're the, the church is supposed to be the salt of the earth. Christians got to stop running around and go, oh, those ungodly people, they're pushing the envelope on TV and doing more ungodly things all the time. And it's terrible, Annie M, it's a twister. You know, you know, it's our fault. We're the salt. Don't be surprised when lost people act like lost people. And don't be surprised in absence of the church being what we should be, that the, lo- that the darkness gets darker. That's not an indictment against sin. Sin is the same thing it's always been. And it always works itself out into deeper and deeper sinful worldly cultures. More demonicness and so forth. But we are supposed to be the light of the world. The current cultural decline is an indictment of the Christianity and the culture. And it's it's a deep indictment. It's like... We have really failed. And the Holy Spirit is given to, re- to restore the church into truth. And a kind of truth that will liberate whole societies and rebuild cultures after the image of Christ. And until you actually start getting so much burden and compassion that you're crying over the lost and you're studying more to get ready to serve them and, you, and you're driven by that sort of thing, then you still need more of the Holy Spirit if you don't have that. Because there's no one else coming. You're God's answer. The church is God's answer. And, the, and God wants to make us right. He wants to make us whole. He wants to solve our fears and our emotional problems and, and so forth because he wants you to be the solution. And when you start getting the burden of God that the Holy Spirit is carrying, you'll want to grow whole in Christ because that's the price we want to pay for the, those around us. No, You know, the answer to poverty is the church. 
the answer to, to educational, educational standards declining for the last 150 years is the church. The answer to an ungodly and moral culture which keeps pushing the envelopes of ungodliness further and further is restore the church. And the Holy Spirit came to do that. I'm starting to preach. I do have a license for it, so it's probably okay. <laughs> but it won't get me through this, the message in time, so I better, I better move on. Nehemiah 9.20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Uh, 1 John 2.27, the anointing teaches you about all things. Now, that does not mean that God didn't give apostles, prophets, shepherds. You know, the Scripture never contradicts the Scripture. What it means is no matter how I, I could get as good as lots of other Bible teachers who are way better than me, which there's lots of them, of course, um, but you still would never get anything out of it if the Holy Spirit doesn't show it to you. If there's no anointing on what we're saying to, to illuminate and open your eyes to the reality of it, then it's not going to do any good work. That's what 1 John 2, 27 is saying. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, is the one that teaches you all things, even through a teacher. Um, I'm not going to get into 2 Peter 1.20. That's... Uh, that, that would take all the time we have less, left to discuss. Uh, the spirit of a prophetic pioneer, Psalm 84, 5, blessed are those who, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The Holy Spirit will cause you to overcome fears, take chances, and become, a, become the answer. He really will. And you'll never be satisfied with your current level of sanctification or wisdom or experience. Sixthly, the Holy Spirit is the writer or author, and therefore the interpreter of the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, theotas, pneumatos, breathed by God, inspired by God. The Holy Spirit breathed the Scriptures. 1 Peter 1.10-12 talks about how that the, the, the prophets of old were searching by the Holy Spirit to see what time or person uh, was being the Holy Spirit was revealing the sufferings of Christ and so forth. And they weren't just searching anywhere, they were searching the scriptures that came before them. The Holy Spirit will cause you to search the scriptures to find Christ everywhere. Like this thing that uh, we emphasize a lot about the apostolic hermeneutic being Christocentric is not like some cool thing that somebody that we know thought of or something. It's what the apostles were doing with the Old Testament. It's what the Holy Spirit does with the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit came to help you see Christ everywhere in Scripture. He's the author, and he's the one to help you to interpret them right. And he interprets the Scriptures by bearing witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, seventhly, the Holy Spirit of the, of the power of God. Wherever he is, there must be, by definition, redemptive supernatural gifts. There's, there's praying the sinner's prayer, and there's being regenerated. You know, they say that we've reached the point where 3 to 5% of people who pray a sinner's prayer at all to calls ever go to on to show any fruit that they actually received Christ. 
like they start reading their Bible or they start attending a Christian fellowship or they start seeking God for righteousness and changes of behavior or lifestyle or they ever witness or lead anyone else to Christ. The Holy Spirit is supernatural. And when people are converted and drawn by the Holy Spirit, it will be, spur- it will be supernatural. There'll be this one day and that the other day. My wife and I have had the pleasure of, I'm going to embarrass Jennifer once again. I embarrassed her Friday night by pointing. You know, she's just come to Christ in the last few weeks, and we've been hanging out with her and having a lot of fun, and Bible studies. And, and she's like, you know, like after three and a half hours, it's like, you know, she's still getting into it. And, you know, I told her to start in Matthew, and I asked her a week or two later, how you're coming? She goes, well, I'm just finishing up Luke and starting on John, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke were pretty cool. And, you know, because the Holy Spirit's doing this. And she's a different person. Bam. In a way that nobody, no, no person could make that happen, except the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the power of God. Wherever he is, there will be supernatural signs, gifts, deliverances, healings, real conversions. He is supernatural. When when Peter is describing the ministry of Jesus to Cornelius in Acts 10, 38, he says, For you heard about, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good. It says, A man filled with the Holy Spirit. I left that out who went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. That's what people filled with the Holy Spirit do. They go about doing good and healing all the people that are suppressed by, oppressed by the devil. Now, I'm not talking about being wacky. I'm talking about being supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural. We don't have to be weird and and take the offenses of the gospel and add to them by our weirdness. But on the other hand, we don't have to, in the name of uh, trying to adorn the gospel, water it down. Acts 1.8, you'll receive dudamus, which we get the words dynamic and dynamite from. You'll receive a bomb when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. It doesn't say you'll witness. You'll be a witness. In fact, what it really means is, because the Bible is always about our journey into Christ, you'll be being, becoming, having been, and still becoming a witness. <laughs> Zechariah 4, 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Romans fifteen nineteen. Paul's describing his ministry. And he says, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of spirits, of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we left little tracks in bathrooms everywhere. Oh, wait, that's the... Sorry, that was a modern translation. And we said, God bless the doctors. No, I'm all for doctors, by the way. My, my, my personal doctor is a wonderful Christian man that I've known for years. We met at a, doing pro-life work together. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Jesus, when he would send people to the priest to bear witness to, you know, to, because the priests were in the law supposed to verify whether the person still had leprosy or not or whether the, 
whether the mold or mildew was actually gone in the house or not or whatever. So doctors are great. Go show them what the Lord has done for you. Uh, eighthly, the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints and sanctifies the body of Christ. Romans 8.26 talks about how the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. One of the reasons I like praying in tongues and praying in the Spirit a lot is because I don't, I, I'm not the best pastor. My compassion at times runs way ahead of knowing what to do. <laughs> a lot of times I'm just praying in the Spirit because it's like, Lord, I love this person, but I don't really know what to do for them. But he does. Right? So there's, you know, thank God that there's, you know, there's a, a passage that actually calls Jesus the advocate. And that, you know, the same Paracletus word that he, that he calls the Holy Spirit in 1 John. And it says that he's the advocate because he intercedes for the saints. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints. There's two great advocates in the Bible, the Son and the Spirit. And uh, boy, do we need that. I need the Holy Spirit reminding the Son to remind the Father not to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm forgiven. All right. Um, Ninthly, the Holy Spirit is given as the representative of the Father and the Son to implement their counsels, build the church, and fulfill God's ultimate kingdom purposes. His ministry is a continuance of theirs. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if the church doesn't look like Jesus very much, and the same kinds of ministries that Jesus did aren't happening very much, we need to continue to pursue more until it does look like that. Do we love like Jesus? Do we serve like Jesus? Do we have supernatural manifestations of the Spirit like Jesus? Um, God's work in all things according to his eternal decree. That's a major concept. If you heard my Kingdom of God series and we talked about chapter 3, we talked 15 weeks or so on major themes of the Scriptures. One of them is that God has an eternal decree. He has... He declares the end from the beginning. He's working all things always according to the counsel of his will. He has a linear view of history, not a chaotic view of history, not a cyclical view of history, not a declining view of history as modern eschatology. He is working toward his pre-intended purposes to fill the earth more and more with his people, manifesting his spirit and his law and his word and his wisdom and his counsel, and living in communities, cities within the city, a city set on the hill everywhere, so that they can see the light and taste the salt and say, these people know God. Their life shows it. Their family life shows it. Their life, the families of families, which is what the church is, show it. And if you want to know God, hang out with these people. You know, what evangelism is, is we live in such a way that they say, take me to your leader. I want to know the person. I want to know what you know. Tenthly, Holy Spirit is God's primary active agent in the church and the world. The church guided, taught, and empowered by the Holy Spirit is God's active agent 
in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. He's the helper, the intercessor, he bears witness to the son, the advocate, the liberator, and on and on and on. All these ten ministries probably don't do justice at all to who the Holy Spirit came to be. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Together with the Father and the Son, he's worshiped and glorified. He came to bear witness to Christ. He came to lead into all the truth. He came to lead us to Christ. He's the one who does it all. So, remember the central roles of John 7, Feast of Tabernacles, John 13, the Last Supper. The church needs to recapture all of the manifest presence and dynamic ministries of the gift and gifts of the Holy Spirit to enable us to follow after and continuing the ongoing, never-changing ministry of Jesus Christ in the world. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit or receiving a greater release of the Holy Spirit, you got the Holy Spirit when you were converted. You have to be very clear on that. But you need a release of the Holy Spirit and a filling of the Holy Spirit and a what, baptizing the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, a pouring out and a filling until we look like Jesus. And until our expectancies are that God's going to do those kind of things in our midst. Now, I know we, at this stage of our development, we do a lot of these kinds of things. All the time, you know, God's been healing people. There's been deliverances, baptism of the Spirit. We do most of it in small groups uh, with people who are a little farther along in the process, you might say. But God is moving us towards doing this stuff more and more publicly. I believe that someday we'll have the kind of church where we could actually have a show on radio or television or something. I don't know. But television ruins everything. But I, you know, I, might go on, I might go on some cable access show or something, but who knows. But I, I honestly think someday maybe we'll have a radio show called Day of Deliverance because today is the day of deliverance. Salvation, sozo, in the, is the verb form, soteria, the, the adverb, soteria, oh, the, the noun, or soterian, whatever. Um, it means deliverance. It's, every, it's not just go, punching a ticket to heaven. It's not being saved from hell. It's being saved from all the consequences of the fall of man and saved unto the purpose of God for your life to restore you and recreate you in Christ Jesus and to make you an ambassador in his army. And the world needs a demonstration of this kind of Christian community. Amen.